Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Package Tourist, hosted by yours truly, The Package Tourist and the Magical Mystery Tour Called Life, Matthew DiBiase. Tonight's guest is author Dr. David Jerome. David Jerome is a retired U.S. officer and a former college professor. He is also the editor of the textbook Examining War and Conflict Around the World. David, as baseball and research interests other include former Major League pitching great Preacher Rowe of Northern Arkansas on the Western Plains, and also legendary New York Yankee scout Tom Greenwade. David is also interested in the political history of Western Missouri from 1854 to 1865, and beginning in the fall of last year, he became an adjunct professor in political science at Mission University in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, tonight, we will be discussing his first book, Bill Verden, The Life in Baseball, which was released in 2019. David, welcome to the show. It's a great honor and privilege to have you here. I'd like to start off by asking you, what led you to write about Bill Verden? Well, I appreciate that. Uh, the book actually came February 2023. My textbook came out in 2019. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, well, when we, my wife and I moved back to Southwest Missouri, we were had been living in Maryville, where teaching college at Northwest Missouri State University, and we basically moved home. And I was also uh, a pastor on the side with several churches. And when I came back to West, Southwest Missouri, I was assigned to a church in Springfield. Well, it just so happened it was Bill and Shirley Burton's church. Mm. I had heard I had heard that there was a major former Major League Baseball player uh, professional that attended that church. Well, I had no idea it was Bill Burden. <laughs> and so I started there in July of 19. Um, I still didn't know who it was until about two weeks after I started my job there. And then uh, I met Bill. And of course, I knew who Bill was, uh, starting about the time that he was the manager of the New York Yankees, and certainly with the Astros when he was skipper then. And so I just got to know him and Shirley, my wife and I did. And, and by November of uh, 19, just before my textbook came out in December, uh, I was driving to a meeting in Columbia, Missouri, and I called the seniors director uh, and to ask, I said, has anybody ever done a book on Bill Burden or has anybody ever asked Bill or Shirley about doing a biography? And he mentioned to me, he said, David, uh, several people have approached them and and they, every time they said no. And I said, well, I've known them now for about four or five months. I said, uh, would you mind asking them if they would consider me doing a biography? And there's a long pause. And the following week, he came back and said, yes, they would like for you to do it. And I about fell over. So anyway, uh, that's when it all started, right around Thanksgiving of 2019. Uh, when they said yes, uh, I started doing some research at that time on Bill, and I immediately became overwhelmed about what he had accomplished as a Major League Baseball professional. Okay. And my, my wife will be the first to tell you that by Christmas of 19, a month later, uh, I felt like I was way in over my head, and which I was. And about the middle of January, uh, I looked at Bill, we were at a luncheon at church and he was sitting over there by himself and he gave me a look that only Bill Burden can give you. And his wife Shirley was over fixing him a tray of food. And so I walked over to him and he kept looking at me. He said, do you think you can get this thing done? 
And I said, Bill, did you ever go into a, a game as a player, coach, or manager thinking you were going to lose? He said, absolutely not. I said, well, that's how I feel about this project. Wow. So we, we started our first interview at their home, lovely home here in Springfield, on January 30th, and we spent the next year and a half together uh, doing this book through COVID and through it, through it all. Wow. Um, when you were researching his life, what was the biggest surprise you discovered while doing your research? Well, I kind of touched on it already, but I found out exactly what he had accomplished in his, in his Major League Baseball uh, career. Uh, I knew that he was a gifted uh, baseball professional. I knew, you know, anybody that rises to the level of being a manager of the New York Yankees, uh, the, the Astros, of course, the Pirates to start with, and then ultimately the Montreal Expos, I knew there had to be something there, but I had no idea. I did not appreciate all at all what he was like as an athlete and as a baseball player uh, for the Pirates, especially. I mean, he was just a, a tremendous athlete. And that stemmed all the way from his time as a high school uh, basketball player and football player and a track star at, at West Plains High School for the Zizzers. They didn't have baseball back then in, in West Plains. So he just played town ball um, but I was really surprised at how good he was as a player. And, and like Roberto Clemente said, uh, he made playing center field look so easy that everybody, you know, he never got any notice for it because he made it look so easy. Okay. Please tell our listeners, what was Bill Vern like as a baseball player? As a hitter, was he a singles hitter or a power hitter? Uh, describe him as an outfielder and as a base runner. Well, he was no, he was not a, a power hitter. I think he had 91 home runs in his career. He finished with like a uh, 266 uh, career batting average. Um, the, uh, Bob Prince, the famous sports announcer, caster for the Pittsburgh Pirates, dubbed him the Quail. And the reason he was dubbed the Quail, I think that was 1956, after he'd been traded from the Cardinals over to the Pirates. The reason Bob Prince dubbed him the quail is because of the nature of his hits. I mean, they, they look like a little quail popping up. Uh, and they were usually singles or maybe doubles. And of course, he had some home runs, like I mentioned. But uh, he was a, he was a uh, base run hitter. I mean, he, he just wanted to get on base. And then he was usually followed by his good friend and roommate, Dick Groth, who we lost not too long ago, last spring. Uh, who was on on uh, who was shortstop? Yeah, and they had to hit and run. And so, Bill, the idea was for Bill to get on base, and usually, like I said, with a single or just a, a base hit, and then they would go from there. So he was a base run. He was a base hitter. But as far as center field, he had a range factor that was off the charts. I mean, he could play left center, right center, center center. Uh, he he just had tremendous speed at Forbes Field, which is a, a huge outfield, and he loved that that big outfield at Forbes Field because he loved to run and he ran very fast. Good. Uh, so he could he could cover a lot of ground, and and he played ten seasons next to Roberto Clemente, and uh, and so they became pretty close, and and they they kind of knew how to play off one another. And, of course, Bob Skinner came out and played left field eventually. And I think Bill was really good at mentoring him and helping him 
And like Dick Grove told me uh, when I interviewed him uh, about almost two years now, and I, I talked to him about two weeks before he passed away in April of 23, he said, David, he had great instinct. Uh, he was like a coach on the field, in the outfield. Uh, he just knew uh, kind of how to uh, play the hitters, and, and, and he had a great arm. Uh, and just like I said, speed and heat, and he, when the when the ball left the bat, he was on it, and uh, he was either going to support somebody else out there, or he he was going to take the lead and get that ball. I just like to tell our listeners who are unfamiliar, uh, the Pirates from 1909 to 1970 played at Forbes Field, which had was had a very large outfield. It was 365 down the left field line, and it was 457 to dead center. So when uh, David is talking about the enormous spaces of Forbes Field, uh, they were quite enormous in those days, much more enormous than the field that the Pittsburgh Pirates are playing now, just as a little note there. A quick question. I want to backtrack a little bit. Um, when he signed, which team originally signed him to a pro contract? Was it the Cardinals or was it a different team? It was the New York Yankees in 1949. Uh, he had been playing out at uh, in Kansas at Clay Center, uh, amateur kind of amateur baseball. He played out there between his junior and senior year of high school as well. And then he went back out there in the summer of 49 and played at Clay Center. And, and Tom Greenway, the legendary uh, scout for the New York Yankees, must have scouted him out there. But Bill doesn't remember him doing that, but he must have. And then he got he got invited to attend a Yankees tryout camp down here in Branson, Missouri, at Main Field. Uh, they invited about 125 young men to go down to that two-week camp. And I think out of the two after the two weeks, I think they only signed eight players, and Bill was one of them. Uh, that May, previous spring, they signed uh, Tom Greenway had signed Mickey Mantle. Uh, over in Baxter Springs, Kansas, and gave him a $1,500 signing bonus. And after Bill completed that camp, Tom Greenway signed him for the Yankees and gave him an $1,800 signing bonus. <laughs> so, so, uh, so he he uh, Bill was also on, on scholarship to go play basketball at Drury College, now Drury University in Springfield. So he fulfilled his fall semester uh, commitment, but he knew full well that he was going to be going somewhere in the Yankees organization after the first of the year. But the thing is, though, you know, he was a natural outfielder, but I had the honor and privilege of reading your book, but there was another stud center fielder uh, in the Yankees system, too, and that kind of roadblocked burden. And to please tell our listeners who that stud outfielder was. Well, that would have been a gentleman by the name of Mickey Mantle. Uh, <laughs> and, and so uh, Bill had known Mickey. Uh, previously, before going to spring training with the Yankees in 1954 down in Florida, uh, they had known each other, uh, and so he, he Bill gets invited to go to spring training. Of course, Casey Stengel is the is the manager, and the outfielders. They had a tremendous outfield. Uh, they had Gene Woodling, they had Hank Bauer, Mickey Mantle, of course, Irv Norin, and Bill knew uh, that. Uh, there was not going to be any chance at all that he was going to be able to play center field as long as Mickey Mantle was out there. And Bill gave uh, Bill gave Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays great credit for how good they played center field. Uh, and so he was down there, and, and uh, but he really liked Hank Bauer. 
Hank Bauer took him under his wing. He mentored him. Uh, he could see that Bill had a great work ethic, and, and that impressed Hank Bauer. But uh, he ended up getting traded uh, after that, uh, about two weeks after that spring training camp. And he was sitting, yeah, go ahead. Well, you know, he was in the outfield there out there taking turns uh, fielding fly balls. They were also doing infield practice at the same time, and Casey Stingle was kind of watching the infield practice. It was Bill's turn to catch a fly ball and the cutoff man to get it back into the infield. And so Bill was all business on the on the ball field. And so he, he went after the ball. He must not have caught it. He must have had to pick it up. And he throws it really hard. He, did, he didn't realize that. Casey had got between him and the in the cutoff man, and Casey's back was to Bill. Ouch! And Bill hit him right between the three and the seven and knocked him to the turf. <laughs> well, Mickey Mantle and Hank Bauer and Gene Woodland and those guys, or Norman, they all dropped to the turf and they pointed up, they pointed their finger up at Bill. He did it. He did it. And um, I'm not going to tell you exactly what Casey Stingle said when he stood back up and brushed himself off, but it. Um, he said, if you guys, he didn't say guys, he said, if you guys could throw like that in the game, we might win one. About two weeks later, he traded to the Cardinals. But in a sense, sending him to the Cardinals probably did them with a great favor because didn't he have a good se- a rookie season with the Cardinals? Bill Burden said that was the best thing that could have possibly have happened to him as a baseball player because, like I said, he was never going to get a chance to be on the big team as long as Mantle was in the outfield. Yeah. So, so yeah, he – he was the International League batting champion. Uh, I think he had a 333. Wow. That was his best year. That was his best year as a hitter in professional baseball. This the, the next one was going to be 1956. We had about a 317. He came in just behind Hank Aaron, who I think had 326, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but Bill finished second behind Hank Aaron in uh, 1956. But yeah, Rochester was great for Bill. Now, why was Vernon traded from the Cardinals to the Pirates? Why did that happen? Well, Frank Trader Lane uh, was the general manager for the yeah. Cardinals. Yep. And Bill, Bill didn't get off to a real good start at the beginning of the 56 season. Mm. You know, he'd just been named the 1955 National League Rookie of the Year. And he was centered. They moved Stan Musil out of the outfield and put Stan on first base to make room for Bill in the outfield. That's how much they wanted Bill to be on the Cardinals. Well, Stan, uh, Bill didn't get off to a great start hitting uh, in the spring of 56. And uh, Frank Trader Lane, I think, was attending a game with Joel Brown, the GM for the Pirates. And I think Bobby Del Greco, the center fielder for the Pirates, uh, hit a couple of home runs in a game. That was enough to impress Frank Lane. And said, so they worked out a trade. And that's what sent the Pirates, uh, Bill to the Pirates in the, about in the May of uh, 56. Now, uh, David, please tell our listeners about Bill Verdon's exploits in the 1960 World Series. Well, it was a good series for him. Uh, even though uh, the Yankees outscored uh, the Pirates by, you know, 55 runs to 27, uh, the Pirates ended up winning that series. But in the first game, Bill's out there in, in center field, you know, of course, playing next to Roberto Clemente. Uh, Yogi Berra hits what would have been a certain double from anybody. And Bill and, and, 
all together. And Bill's right cleat cuts into the leather of Roberto Clemente's left shoe. And Bill makes that very, very acrobatic uh, catch. And it basically saves two runs, which ends up being the difference in the game, uh, ultimately. And so it, it robbed Yogi Berra of a certain double. Uh, another, uh, and Bill says this is the more acrobatic, more athletic catch that he made. And that was in uh, the fourth game, uh, about the seventh inning. And Bob Serve also hit uh, what would have been a certain double. Uh, and Bill had already outpaced. Roberto, he was already on top of it. He had it from the time it cracked the bat, and uh, he had to make a pretty acrobatic catch up against the wall on that one. Yeah. But Bill was really responsible for uh, the the Pirates winning that game four. I mean, as the I think the game the score was three two Pirates, and Bill accounted for two of those three runs himself. Uh, so on the on both on the defense and the offense, he he was a pretty good. He he did pretty well, of course. Uh, the seventh game and the eighth, or excuse me, the eighth game and, and the ninth game, he also <laughs> did pretty well too. Now in Game Seven, did, didn't that, when the Pirates were making that comeback after the Yankees took the lead, didn't wasn't didn't Vernon get a key base hit that set up How Smith's uh, three run home run, if I recall correctly, and when they were making that comeback in Game Seven, do I recall that correctly? Oh, yes. Uh, Hal Smith, of course, got a three-run homer that tied the game uh, going into the top of the ninth. Yeah, Bill got a, uh, you know, he that's when he hit Tony Kubek in the throat. Uh, Bill Bill's up there, and, and, he, and he hit the ball, and he knew it was going to be a, a sure out. I mean, and I'm not going to tell you exactly what Bill said, but uh, – People think that that ball bounced off of a pebble or something on its way to the shortstop, and it bounced up and hit Tony Kubek in the throat, and Bill made it safely to first base. That was a, a key play, yeah. If I recall correctly, the Pirates like to tailor that infield at Forbes Field. Someone said it was like hard, like pavement, that, so it, that you could get a lot of good bounces, like Clemente used to take advantage of, hit those high hoppers and then beat it out their first base. I mean, was that something the Pirates deliberately did make sure you could get those good high hoppers, Baltimore chops on the infield? You know, Matthew, I don't, I, I tried to look into that a little bit. I asked Bill about uh, how that could have possibly have happened and he didn't elaborate on that. Didn't mm -hmm. go into the technical details about the surface or anything. And I always wondered what a, what a pebble would have been doing out there in the first place. Um, uh, or a rock, or whatever the case may be, but no, we never talked about the surface itself, uh, the dirt uh, out there in the infield. Okay. Now, when did he get into managing, coaching, and managing? Well, in '64, of course, he won the Gold Glove in '62. Uh, he should have won probably four or five more. Uh, but anyway, at the fall in the fall of '64, he told his wife Shirley here in Springfield that he thinks the following year is going to be his last because he just kind of felt that he wasn't up to his standard as a player and he, he just thought it was time to to go into coaching. Of course, he had a great mentor, Danny Murtaugh, and so uh, he made 65 his last year. Uh, Joel Brown, the GM, didn't find a, a slot for him in the farm system or anywhere else in the Pittsburgh Pirate organization, but 
the New York Mets had a place for him up in Williamsport, uh, New York, or Pennsylvania, excuse me, uh, and their double A affiliate up there, about 85 miles north of uh, Harrisburg. But mm-hmm. so he went up there as the uh, skipper for the double A affiliate for the Mets. That's where he met Nolan Ryan for the first time. Mm-hmm. He was the young person that came in. Nolan was supposed to have gone over to, uh, after about five innings in a game, Nolan was supposed to have gone over to New York to join the big big team for a road trip. And after five innings, Nolan was hitting or was pitching a no-hitter. And Bill just asked him, he said, do you want to see this through? He said, well, if it's all right by you, Mr. Burden, I just didn't go to New York. And Bill just wished him the best of luck, and <laughs> he left. The following year, Bill became the skipper of the AAA affiliate in Jacksonville. Mm. Again, <laughs> Nolan Ryan was there. Amos Otis, who would become a Kansas City Royal, was there. Yeah. I forgot if it was Tug McGraw in, New York, in uh, Williamsport or, or Jacksonville. But anyway, yeah. there were up and rising, up, uh, up and coming stars of those two clubs. And then he went back to Pittsburgh uh, in the fall of 67. Joel Brown was going to make him the uh, the hitting instructor, hitting coach for the uh, for the uh, Pirates. And before he, in the fall of 67, Joel Brown said, now, Bill, I want you to go out and I want you to interview some really good hitters. So he sent him out to interview Joe DiMaggio, Ted Williams, I think Hank Bauer, um, maybe uh, Kenny Boyer. Uh, I forgot who else, but anyway, Bill went out and interviewed all those guys to help him uh, establish himself as a good uh, hitting instructor. In 68, uh, as you may well know, uh, in 68, of course, the Vietnam War was going on, and it basically decimated the whole inventory of players in the farm system. And so Bill was still, Bill had maintained his physical fitness up into his 70s. So he was still in very good shape in 1968. So he told the he told the general manager Joel Brown said, "Activate me if you need me." So he was activated for two weeks in July of 68. I think he had three three plate appearances, and the last one it was against Cincinnati Reds. Uh, he hit a home run uh, in the bottom of the ninth that basically took the game into extra innings. Of course, the Pirates lost the game in extra innings, but. Yeah, I like to explain to our listeners during the Vietnam War era, it was typical for like big league teams to have like you know, their players or like minor top minor league players do like National Guard stints just to avoid being sent overseas to Vietnam. They would put them into local National Guard units and from time to time for like a couple of weeks, they would have to do stints and you know be unavailable to their teams you know, for a time. So that was very typical during the Vietnam War era. Okay. Um, Tell me, so what big league teams did he manage? So you, so you said he managed the Pirates, he managed the Astros, and he managed the Yankees and the Expos. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, in the fall of in 71, of course, the Pirates go back to the World Series and they defeat the Baltimore Orioles. In uh, that fall, Danny Murtaugh decided to retire, uh, and they named Bill to be the, uh, the manager of the Pirates in the fall of 71. Uh, of course, he managed. He went on to manage the Pirates in '72 and, and most of '73, and he got fired toward the tail end of the season in '73 by the Pirates. And uh, 
Joel Brown, the manager, would later say that that was a mistake for him to have fired Bill Burden uh, in 73. Uh, a lot of things happened uh, in 73. Um, Roberto Clemente was killed in a tragic plane crash on, on uh, New Year's Eve, uh, December 31st, 1972. So we lost Roberto Clemente. Also, the star pitcher, Steve Glass, who did a remarkable, he was the hero, basically, of the 71 uh, World Series and did really well in 72. But for some inexplicable reason, uh, Steve had a hard time getting the ball over the plate in 73. And that probably cost um, the Pirates a lot of wins that year uh, because of uh, Steve Glass not up to doing what he was able to uh, had been doing before. So that kind of all worked against Bill, I think. Uh, but obviously the manager's going to take the hit if the, if the club's not performing like it should. He goes out that fall and he goes to winter meetings down in Houston, Texas. And, and I think somewhere in October sometime, of course, winter meetings was in December, I believe, in Houston that year in uh, the fall of 73. He'd been hired to be the AAA of manager for the Houston affiliate out in Denver. I think it was the Denver Bison. And so he was all set to go to Denver immaturely. Um, but somewhere in December, uh, the New York Yankees got a hold of him and had him come in for an interview uh, for the manager's job um, in New York. And so he flew out there, and I think the interview was on, on January 3rd, and they hired him on I believe January 4th, and they announced him as the new skipper for the New York Yankees. They wanted Dick Williams. I mean, uh, George Steinbrenner was under federal indictment. He really couldn't have direct hands-on uh, association with the ball club. Uh, Bowie Q, I believe, was the, was the, was the commissioner. Um, but him and Gabe Paul kind of worked out the deal as far as his contract and all that. But they really wanted uh, Dick Williams. But uh, Charlie Finley wouldn't let Dick Williams out of the contract, I guess, with the Oakland A's at that time or something like that. So Bill managed the, the New York Yankees in 1974, was the AL manager of the year that year uh, by that fall. And then, of course, he starts in 75. At the 1st of August, he gets fired because Billy Martin became available. He'd been fired by the Texas Rangers. Yeah. And uh, Billy Martin, of course, and George Steinbrenner would have a really wonderful relationship. <laughs> with yeah. Billy Martin was a showman, and Bill Burton was not a showman. He wasn't flamboyant. He just took care of business, and and uh, he uh, he was not an entertainer. Okay, David. Last question. Please tell our listeners where can readers find your book. The book is available uh, on Amazon. Uh, Bill Verdon, A Life in Baseball. It's also available at Barnes & Noble. I think there's several copies at our local Barnes & Noble. Uh, McFarlandBooks.com, also my publisher, also has the book. Um, they're also welcome to contact me. I'll be glad to, to, uh, to accept payment and to sign the book and send it to anybody. Okay. David, I want to I thank you for appearing on the show and best of luck on your future book projects. And let me know when your next book comes out. I want you on my show again. Well, I appreciate that so much. This has been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it very much, Matthew. Thank you. And God bless you, David. God bless you too. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, for my next show where I will be interviewing author Ryan Walker. Thank you and good night.